Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast, show number five. Being able to say, no, I'm giving up my $1,600 a month in free cash flow because I'm not hiring these two guys because they don't fit our vision. That was really nice. And I think that if you built that into your business case and you built that into your concept, into your vision, and you stick to your leadership thoughts and you don't give up for it, you don't give up, you don't sell your morals and your and your thoughts for the cash flow, then you can ultimately reach your destination, whatever that may be, right? Welcome to a real world MBA from the School of Hard Knocks, where entrepreneurs reveal what it really takes to make it. Whether you're already in business or you're on your way there, this show is for you. This is Bigger Pockets Business. Hey there, everybody. I am Jay Scott. I am co-host of the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast, and I am here with my wife, Mrs. Carol Scott. How are you doing today, Carol? I'm doing great, honey. Thank you so much. I, I want to tell all of our listeners something really great that happened this morning. So we were doing a real estate deal, go figure. And no matter how many deals we do, once in a great while, there's one that we just don't know which way to go with it, right? So we decided, you know what? We need to go out there and get some help. So I reached out into our network, found somebody who isn't even a real estate professional, but somebody who I knew could be entirely objective and give us some really good clarity. Well, guess what? He did just that, and I am eternally grateful. It made such a big difference and helped us move forward. So the little tip of the day from that is, no matter how knowledgeable you might be in an industry, no matter how much of an expert you are, do not be afraid to go out there, pick up the phone, ask for help, and it might just change your entire perspective. Love that tip. Now, with that in mind, we have a really great show for you today. We've got two guys on the show today, Daniel Santana and Chris Basio. These guys are awesome. We had a great conversation. They are literally changing the face of an industry that's been around for over 7,000 years now, the barbering industry. And they're going to help us. They're going to teach us how, if we're starting a business today, how we can start that business in a way that we position ourselves to be able to grow and scale that business in the future. And do you want to learn how to attract ambitious people into your business, both as customers and as people working in your business? Well, make sure you listen all the way through because they are going to tell you their strategy for doing just that. You're also going to love hearing how passionate they are about every single step of their business and how their passion led to them identifying needs in their industry to help it grow even more. So throughout this episode, we're going to throw a lot of stuff at you. We're going to mention a ton. So to find out more about 
about it, go right to biggerpockets.com slash bizshow5. But before we jump in, let's hear a word from our show sponsor. WiseHire helps you understand your own personality and the personalities of job candidates, which is totally crucial if you're trying to find the perfect match for a position. They do this by using the DISC personality assessment. And if you're unfamiliar with it, DISC is a simple survey that explains a lot about you and it helps you build better relationships. The Bigger Pockets staff actually uses the DISC assessment in their teams. So here's how it works. WiseHire's simple software in expert hiring coaches help you write a quality job description. And then they post your ad to 60 plus job boards, including Indeed, LinkedIn, and ZipRecruiter. Once your candidates start applying, WiseHire automatically gives them a personality assessment and stores their score as well as their resume in one place for you to review. Over 3,000 small businesses and teams trust WiseHire to help them grow. So check it out today at wisehire.com. That's W-I-Z-E hire.com. Okay, go out and support our show sponsor. Now, let's jump into our episode with Chris Basio and Daniel Santana. Let's welcome to the show, Daniel Santana and Chris Basio. How are you guys doing today? Doing great. Doing great. great man. Happy to be here. Thanks so much for joining us. I've been really looking forward to talking with you. We've watched lots of videos on both of you. We've learned a lot about your shop and we're excited to hear it from your perspective. And I've, I've learned a whole bunch of stuff about cutting hair the last two days as well. <laughs> That's really cool. <laughs> so, uh, Daniel, Chris, First, let's start with a little bit of background about you guys. Can you introduce who you are and where you come from and how you kind of got into the uh, into the barbershop business? Yeah, I guess I'll start. So I was I was playing college basketball and I had a roommate who was cutting hair in, in his dorm. And when you play basketball in college, you can't get a job. So you're like broken. This is during the recession. This is 08. So my parents lost their businesses and I didn't have any money. And I was in the middle of nowhere, Kansas. And I was just saw my roommate, you know, cutting hair, making a bunch of money while I'm starving, you know. So I got homesick. I transferred over to a school in Florida and uh, you had to sit out a year when you transfer. So I decided I was going to go to barber school and learn how to cut hair. Fell in love with it. This is around the same time. It's funny that I signed up for Bigger Pockets for the website. I was working at Arby's and I was just trying to figure out a way to change my life, change my life around and not struggle financially anymore. And I just, you know, started doing some self-development stuff. And I told myself that if I was going to do this barbering thing, I needed to, to, to own the businesses. I needed to start businesses within that niche, within that industry. And so that's how I got started with barbering and meeting up with Danny. And uh, so, uh, yeah, on my side, it's interesting. Not the uh, profile you would expect to be in the barbershop world or in the barber world, but after something in the area of almost 14 years in the business world, expatriate in Argentina, almost 2 million miles flown on a single airline by the time I was 32, running multi-million dollar teams, multi-million dollar deals. I had a friend I had met uh, since before puberty, and he he was struggling as a barber. His barbershop owner was a stereotypical barbershop owner, if you will, and we set up a shop together. Originally, it was just alone, and then I kind of enjoyed it. I, I met Basio. That was the first barber that came over to that shop. I was still doing uh, some work with uh, in the corporate world, had a gig with a couple of VCs. And ultimately, uh, what I realized is this industry is full of extremely driven, extremely intelligent individuals who just didn't have a formal education. And I wanted to, I wanted to 
jump on their wave, man, because they definitely helping me out. So I was very lucky to fall into it. And that's ultimately how I got into into the barbing world after uh, starting my life off as an engineer, systems engineer on the techie world, business development in the corporate world, Airplane Joe for, for many, many years, suit and tie. And now it's a uh, sandals, T-shirt and hair. So that's, that, that's awesome. So you guys teamed up as a partnership where, Daniel, you brought the business side of, uh, of, the, of the equation, Chris, and I guess you have a third partner, it sounds like. And Chris and the third partner, you guys brought the operator side of the equation. It sounds like a match made in heaven. It's definitely a Nemeth uh, circle, full yeah. circle there between different, different teammates. A lot of growing pains, uh, just as much on Basio's side coming over to this side. And he's, he's an extremely quick learner, willing to read or listen depending if it's an audio book or a paper book, as needed for us to sync up. And uh, while I have not cut hair, I feel like I could after watching many of his videos at this point. (laughs) That's awesome. That's very fun. So I'm wondering, you mentioned, you know, like we said, we have the operator side, we have the business growing person side, and you mentioned there's a loan in there somewhere. So talk to us a little bit about, you decided this might be a good business to start. Did you think you were going to start with this one shop or did you have a bigger plan from the get-go? It's really interesting because in reality, the the shops are called Headlines Barbers. And um, we, we, at the beginning, we used to joke that we were like the barber rehab. Yeah. We would bring in barbers that were working at, at stereotypical barbershops with owner shops. It was a complete lifestyle um, situation. When uh, I, I built up a business case, tried showing our, our third business partner, which isn't here today, Perez, how he, uh, how he can go get an SBA loan. He went to a couple of different bank, banks, tried to get an SBA loan off of the business case I had built him with my experience. And unfortunately, his credit wasn't good enough. We have a lot of people, a lot of barbers in, in, in this industry don't have good credit and would never be able to get qualified. But after some talk, he, he said he had a partner. He, he came to me with what the, what the potential partner was offering him. And it was just one of those bad deals. And then being a friend and me being in the corporate world for years, I, I decided, you know what, here's the money. I'm just going to loan it to you. We'll start there. There was no paper between us. It was just a handshake. I wrote a $50,000 check and we opened the uh, first barbershop. And I think it was like 30, 60 days in, I sat, I sat him down. I sat Basio down, which was the first barber that I had met outside of my, out of my friend, Perez. And uh, we, we, we put something together and we said, let's do five shops in five years. So I expanded the business case where we rolled over 100% of the revenue that came into the business. None of us took any draws and 100% of the money went back into the second shop. And of course, by the time you build your third shop, you've got the revenue from the first and the second shop doing it. You know, and each business case showed the negative cash flow up front and, you know, a ramp up and stuff like that. There was a lot of learning curves on both our sides. We, we, because we started as a lifestyle company and because we positioned ourselves as lifestyle, it was always lifestyle over profits. So we don't have the most profitable business case, yeah. but we have the deepest culture uh, business case. And that's really what has helped launch Tomb 45, which is our product line. And that's really what we're hoping uh, can actually make us some money <laughs> as well as maintain the culture as we scale. That's awesome. Okay, so ton of stuff to unpack there, but I want to start with something we talk a lot about on this show, which is partnerships. And a lot of times we see partners come in and, and they have the exact same skills, they have the same strengths, they have the same weaknesses, but you guys made the perfect partner because Chris, you and, and it sounds like Perez, you knew how to operate this business, this specific business. And Daniel, you knew how to grow and scale this business. So between the two of you, Basically, you had everything in place to, to build a business and then eventually grow and scale it. But the thing that struck me was that, uh, Chris, you said earlier in the discussion that you kind of had the same goals moving forward. You didn't just want to build a small business that you kind of go to and you didn't want to you didn't want to build yourself a job. You were looking to build something bigger. So you both had this vision. 
So before we get to the building it bigger, take us through a little bit about how you started that first shop the, and what went right, what went wrong. Um, how did this partnership really start out with that very first shop? Well, let, let me jump in really quick ahead. here. I, I think I think I, we took a lot of the the stuff from the corporate world when you're hiring somebody, when you're hiring, you know, type A business development slash sales guys. And and the idea was, you know, why why are we doing this? We had we answered a lot of whys up front before we decided five shops in five years, before we put the effort in, um, before we started deciding how you know how to focus on customer acquisition and who were our, defining our customers and market and all that. Before we ever got to any of that, we didn't worry about the colors. We didn't worry about what logo we were going to use. We worried about what what is it that he wants to do, but more importantly, why? Why is it that you want to do this? Why would you jump into a five-year plan where you're going to work your butt off and not get a single dollar? You've got a day job and a night job and an evening job, and we're going to be counting everything in, in dollars and pennies, not in hundreds and thousands. And the answer ultimately was lifestyle. And then when we sat there and we thought about it and we, you know, and and the rest of the other partners, all of us got together, we we ultimately decided that we were all willing to make the same sacrifices for the lifestyle first and foremost. So I'm I'm going to interrupt you for a quick second because you've used lifestyle several times and I love that. But can you define in your words, because everybody has a different idea of what a lifestyle business is. In your words, what were you trying to achieve with the, with the lifestyle business? Yeah. So basically as a barber, uh, the, the hours that are put in by a barber are 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. or 7 p.m. or 8 p.m. on a daily basis. That's five days a week. Plus you've got Saturdays. That's not a nine to five where you can pick up your kids at work and go and, you know, you've got some flexibility because you can make your own schedule. But a lot of barbers like to say, I make my own schedule. No, no, they, they really don't. It's really a lifestyle in the sense that this is when, when we from the corporate world, a lot of us that are listening consider our nine to five and, you know, our after hours, our kids go to sleep, we jump on our laptops, we put in some extra work. That's typically what we see. But in this blue collar world, it's really a matter of putting in those hours day in and day out on the weekends and sacrificing so much family time that if you don't thoroughly enjoy going to what we, you know, the barber battles, if you don't enjoy going to the barber shows, if you don't enjoy going to the get togethers, if you don't enjoy doing the events for the cancer societies, like we've done cut hair for free. That's one of the questions we ask all of our barbers that are coming on board. Would you cut hair for free? Um, if, if you can't enjoy that part of it, then that's not, that's, that's not the lifestyle. The lifestyle is, is thoroughly enjoying the part where you realize that the impact you're giving to anybody who who sits in your chair, the conversation you have with anybody who sits in your chair. That's what I interpret it as the lifestyle. What I, about you, Basio? It's funny because I feel like in the barber culture, we like to say that the barber culture is hip hop. It's cutting hair. It's it's all the same culture. It seems like the popular belief is just grind. You got to grind. You got to put your head down and you just got to work. You got to work all day, every day. And one of the things that struck me early on in, in you know, as we were building this, because that was my mindset one thing that struck me that Danny would tell me is you got to enjoy the process. We have our destination, but we have to enjoy the journey as well because you only have one life. So when we put lifestyle as a priority, it's, you know, are we really able to spend time with our kids? Are we really able to enjoy this? Because so many barbers, they work so much that they they work their themselves to the point where they don't have passion for what they do anymore. It, it was like the best analogy I, I usually give is when I played basketball in high school and in AAU, I loved it. It was so much fun. But once I got into college, they would tell me every day, earn your scholarship. This is your job. And it got, I hated it. I, I started to hate basketball. And that's a feeling I never want to have with what I do in business or in barbering or in life in general.
That's great. And I love that it sounds like the two of you have proven that if you do business right, that in a business that typically is not amenable to this type of lifestyle where you can have passion and love what you do, but still be with your family and do the other things that are important outside of that, that you have managed by making the right choices, by growing the right way that you don't have to choose, that you truly can do both, right? So it sounds like that you've really kind of changed. You're starting to really change the way the industry is 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 working by the way that you've put things in place. And I think that's a really cool accomplishment. So, okay. So back to you decided you need to open a store, your very first one. How'd you go about doing that? So- it was it was scary in the beginning. A lot of it we didn't really know. Like you know, he's a businessman, but a lot of the stuff that that we needed for the shop we kind of overlooked. So one of the ideas that we put together was was table topping. That's something Danny introduced, and it was really eye opening because I remember sitting down with Perez in the office at the first shop that we were at, and he was like, "What do we need for the shop? Open the door and look around. What do we need first? And things like floor mats, things like garbage cans, you don't really think about. And so we didn't realize how much money we were really going to spend to open up this shop. A lot of barbers, they just think it's, you know, barber chairs, a station, and we're good to go. And so that was eye-opening, going through that and seeing, damn, we're running through this money pretty quickly. (laughs) Really quick. Yeah, it's amazing. Like, let's say you want to open, you know, a 10-station shop. Um, A lot of barbers won't put a power strip in their business case or in their cost concepts, even if they don't write it down, per se. But you got to buy some pretty high-end power strips. You're spending $60 a power strip. You just spent $600 that you weren't expecting. And that's just one of many of the things. So we definitely tabletop to walk through the process several times of what you do during a haircut. So I can come up to speed, identify all the individual components and try to write them down. Of course, we totally messed up our business case, but we did put a 10% variance on our CapEx. And uh, we were pretty, we were pretty darn close at the end of the, uh, at the end of the first shop. Well, how did you choose that location for the first one? So we looked at several locations. We were actually very scared. We've, we've got a very high rent place. But ultimately, we knew we wanted to get somewhere where our customer acquisition cost was low. That's something that I that I go after repeatedly. It's something that's on my mind for everything we do, customer acquisition costs. Coming from the corporate world, we spent thousands of dollars on flights and entertainments with our customers and all that. And we put that to a budget center. So we decided at the end of the day how much did it cost us to sign this contract. Well, for us, customer is, is getting them in the door. And then the barber's job is to retain them. But getting them in the door, for example, we wanted to be next to high schools, next to junior high schools where the customer acquisition cost is low. We wanted ne- we wanted to be as close as possible to a gym. And this is a very large L.A. fitness. The same plaza we're in has a very large L.A. fitness. And we said, you know what? We're going to bite the bullet and I'm going to I'm going to sign this and, uh, personal. Guarantee and it was scary and with that location. <laughs> I think that was like our fifth choice because yeah. the plaza is actually not facing the main road. It's actually the ah. back of the plaza facing right. it. So that was super scary. Sure. The uh, the demographics, the, the street traffic was was something that was advertised by the landlord, but it was not something that would definitely affect us. But the demographics in the area were good. The the LA Fitness Plaza was good, and ultimately, uh, it's it's a it's a model we we kept as we as we yeah, expanded. I think four of our locations are in a LA Fitness Plaza. You think about gyms. You know, people who want to look good, they go to gyms. So it was it's a priority sure. for yeah. them. Yeah, yeah, yeah it all just kind of fits together, right? Yeah, yeah. I love the fact that, and uh, Daniel, I was on your your Instagram earlier today, and uh, so I've noticed you've posted some things like spreadsheets for how uh, a barbershop for other people that might want to start a barbershop, how they can actually do the numbers to to create like a profit and loss statement and kind of model out what it would take to open a barbershop. So I love the fact that you guys like 
from the beginning, it wasn't just let's open a barbershop, see what happens. You actually sat down and thought about this. You thought about your location. You thought about the demographics. You thought about customer retention. You thought about the CapEx, which is capital expenses, all the 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 big equipment that goes into the store. You thought about all those costs. You, I assume you actually created a budget, a spreadsheet that said, if we have this many people cutting hair and we get this many customers per day and they pay this much and our costs are this much, at the end of the day, week, month, year, this is what our profit's going to look like. And you actually did all that before you went out and you started building your first shop. Oh, yeah. We, I mean, I calculated NPV, my first spreadsheet. Um, I sat down with, with Perez and Basio and they just scratched their head and I realized that, you know, this was going to be a journey. So so we dumped it down and then built it up. And at this point, I'm pretty sure Basio can build his own uh, fairly complex business cases. And it's one of those things where, where, you know, as a barbershop owner, we started defining different things. I defined our customers as both the barber and the person getting a haircut, which was a different concept than, you know, and it took a while for us to to sink on that, if you will. But the barbers ultimately pay us. We took the, the again, going back to the lifestyle term, the lifestyle method where we wanted to uh, give the individual barber an opportunity to make more money as long as we made our, our rent, basically, if we can if we can recover. Our business case showed a 36-month uh, break-even point, and we, were, we weren't, like, getting a real ROI until, like, month 48, you know? So we built out 48 months, and at that point, we stopped. I think we've been in business for six months. And, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been fantastic to actually build that out. We've been trying to do that, or Boz has been trying to convince me to do the uh, business classes for years. So we decided upfront, maybe not up upfront, but definitely once we decided to to focus on the expansion, that we needed to provide value upfront through education. And again, customer acquisition costs. We defined as barbershop owners that our customers were also the barbers. And the barbers, we needed to acquire them just like we would acquire any other customer. And we wanted to attract a higher level of barber, a higher caliber of professional. And we did that by putting out education and increasing our pool of, uh, you know, addressable market, basically. And, and the addressable market grew quite a bit because they knew who we were and they wanted to come work for us. That's that we is huge. That right there, I swear you read my mind because I was going to ask you about this. We're on your first shop, right? And you figure out your customer acquisition, but clearly you need people to serve those customers. So how would you go out about how would you go about getting them? And it sounds like by providing education, right, that you were able to do that. So how many people, how many barbers did you draw into your shop, and how did you set up their payment structure or their share rent structure? And can you talk to us about how that worked out? And also how you guys differentiate, because I, I know a little bit reading your story, I know a little bit about what you did here. I'd love to, for you to talk a little bit about how you guys basically change the way you do things compared to much of the rest of the industry. Yeah, I think it was it was just putting the barber first, like Danny was saying earlier. We started doing a whole lot of YouTube videos and um, putting content out there. And it was it was it was a blessing because we started getting barbers who probably weren't the best at cutting hair. But they were moldable. They were teachable. They were ambitious. And with our with our channel, we didn't just educate, but we also inspired and motivated barbers to step their level up of of barbering. Like because I think a lot of barbers they they think of barbering as just kind of like a hustle. They don't see it as a real career. And so we wanted to change that mindset for the upcoming, the new generation of barbers. And that's been amazing for us because 
just like when I read Rich Dad Poor Dad and it changed my entire mindset and how I think about money, I think we're doing that a lot for the new generation of barber. And that's what's helped us get all these new guys in. But you also have to invest into them. You also have to spend time training them and teaching them how to cut hair and teaching them how to save their money and um, teaching them how to make more money. And we've set up, you know, a pay structure pretty much that amplifies that and elevates them to be able to do do the, the best that they can in our environment. That's cool. And I love even, I can tell from the language, simply from the language that you're using when you talk about your barbers, you're, you want to elevate them, you want to educate them, you want to amplify their careers. I think that's a very different mindset, if you will, than how the industry is. I mean, I, I think that in most women's hair salons, for example, it's simply booth rental. You come in as, as, a, as a salon professional, you rent booth space, you pay a certain number of dollars, you keep the profit end of story, but it sounds like you're doing it completely differently. I, Danny jokes all the time that we're terrible businessmen <laughs> because businessmen would see what we do for our barbers and say, you guys are crazy, right? And right. and that goes back to the whole lifestyle thing. Well, it, and it's long-term vision, right? Yeah. Short-term vision, right. we turned down so many barbers that would walk in and want to work for us. Right. And I mean, uh, you know, we would ask some some pretty horrible questions of the barbers and and insult them. And if if it if it was a, if that was an issue, then we knew that that was going to be a problem. If you couldn't answer why you wanted to work in my shop, other than we have great traffic, other than I hear you're the up and coming shop, then that wasn't then then they weren't listening to what we were saying. What we were saying was that we want to not dominate the industry. We want to elevate the industry. And by elevating the industry, they will follow us. Um, there's a lot of fake leadership in this industry, a lot of guys that say they're leaders, but there's the thought leadership is only from a few different people, um, you know, and, and those people are, are respected and, and thought out of, um, thought of in the industry as, as leaders, as true leaders. And, you know, it's, sometimes we give it up. It was, it was nice to be able to say for a couple of years that we didn't need to manage the income. These guys were living off of their haircuts. I was living off of uh, my previous money from the corporate world. And, of course, that was nice. You know, the two or three years where we were able to completely reinvest 100% of everything uh, worked really well for us. And being able to say, no, I'm giving up my $1,600 a month in free cash flow because I'm not hiring these two guys because they don't fit our vision that was really nice. And I think that if you built that into your business case and you built that into your concept, into your vision, and you stick to your leadership thoughts and you don't give up for it, you don't give up, you don't sell your morals and your and your thoughts for the cash flow, then you can ultimately reach your destination, whatever that may be, right? That That's awesome. And, and another thing I saw that, that it struck, struck me that you guys are doing is you're aligning incentives amongst everybody in the business. So in it, like Carol said, in a typical barbershop, and it's not just women hair salons, but also the barbershop I go to, everybody's renting booths. And so all these barbers are competing with one another. So if I walk up and I say, I want to uh, get my hair cut by, by Jane, Mary is over there saying, okay, I just lost his business. And that there's that competition there. And competition's good, but it doesn't, to use your words, it doesn't elevate the business. And what you guys are doing is more of a, hey, we're bringing people in. I don't know if they're technically employees or not. That doesn't matter. But you're basically bringing people in saying, this is a family. This is a business. And we're all striving for the same goal. We're all striving to make the business successful, not our, ourselves as individuals successful. And, and that's great. That alignment of incentives is good for the business. Well, it's that gig economy, right? So in the gig economy, everybody's out for themselves. They want to catch that next ride. They want to catch that next customer. 
But in reality, what ends up happening in the barbershop world specifically is uh, barber owners will overexpand because their rent is their rent. And of course, there's all kinds of analogies we can use that you have to pay your rent regardless if you are there or not, which is the situation for many barbers. But that's really where the downfall in the, in the industry is. If you set a rent without providing any income to the business, then the business can't strive. And the individual barber is a business and we want them to, to, yes. to survive so that we have longevity. We have barbers that have been with us for seven years. Five years ago, we built a flyer that said we have like six or seven barbers that have gone to build, to open their own barber shops. And then in big parentheses and massive font, we put, and we're proud of it, even though they opened across the street from us, <laughs> because that's really, you know, they're not going to affect me per se. They're not going to affect us. They're just, they're just creating more of the same culture where the barbershop world can be seen as somewhere where I can take my kids. I've got a 13-year-old daughter and a six-year-old boy, and I want to be able to walk into any of my barbershops and make it happen. How did you know? What was the tipping point at that first shop where you said, yeah, this is working. We've got something good figured out here, and it's time to move on to another. Yeah, so the, the first couple of days, we thought we were going to go out of business. <laughs> what? What? Oh, whoa. Everything share, went wrong. Please share. Everything that could go wrong went wrong. Power went out. I'm in the middle of a haircut. Power goes out. My clients are called out of work. Like, we we were scared like crazy. But I would say we started attracting some barbers, like we said earlier, that were abused in the barbershop that they were currently at. And they came over and they brought clientele with them and their passion with them. And then from there, it just started snowballing. And I would say by by year one, by the end of year one, we, we felt like we had something. Very cool. How many barbers did you have at that first one? I would say we opened the second one when we had 10, 10 barbers. Probably. I would say so 10 you had barbers. 10. So you had 10. So go ahead, Jay. Uh, I was just going to ask, did you have a plan for when you were going to open that second one? Was it so we get 10 barbers and we open the second one or we get a year in and we open the second one or was it just natural organic growth? No, it was the uh, cash on hand row on the spreadsheet. So when the cash on hand was enough to justify the next business plan and still provide a cushion for the original shop and all that jazz, um, once we once we felt we had enough cash on hand, as I said, it was rolling over month to month. Um, that's basically when it went in. If if for some reason we all decided to put in a cash injection, and by a cash injection I'm talking like two thousand dollars each. Not we're not going to put in fifteen twenty thousand dollars each to make it happen. Then we would do that at different times for different shops. But for the most part, it was uh it was the rollover from one shop shop one shop two shop three into the cash on hand account, and then once that cash on hand was enough, that's when we would 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 jump to the next one. That's cool. And then when it was time, when you did have enough cash on hand to do that next one. Were you able to apply a lot of those initial things that you did from the first shop, or did you find that you made significant changes when you went to shop two? The sh- shop two, we actually got we got creative and we tried something different. Um, we we wanted to we did so good with the first shop and it worked, but then we deviated from that and we decided we were going to try to change, be innovative. That's always been our thing. We wanted to be different and we wanted to bring in you know complimentary beer, have the barbers dress up nicely. We wanted it to be like a higher end barber shop, and um, our customers just didn't want that. We found out that we like after six months of trying that, we had to change it, change it up, and go back to what was working. So did they just, were they just like, what, what did they say? Like, how did you know? Were they polite about it? Well, I'm no, so they curious loved, how that went down. They loved it at first, but we knew when no one wanted complimentary beers or okay, nobody, it. like it, it just, you could tell that it just wasn't working with our customers. You know, It wasn't yeah. worth it, but you experimented and you were innovative and you yeah. tried something. And so yeah. kudos to you for doing that. That's cool. So, so 
So from an operational perspective, obviously, Chris, you can't be managing shop number one and cutting hair in shop number two, and at the same time be over watching or shop number one and same time be over at shop number two, cutting hair and managing that one or shop number three. So at some point, did you have to transition from cutting hair into a manager role or how did you cover the management of each of these shops? The second shop, I definitely had to be the leader in the shop and I learned a lot through that managing, you know, other people who believe that they're their own bosses and they're independent contractors. And it's really hard to manage those different personalities as well. And I I definitely had to change up the way, because they used to call me Hitler, because <laughs> I wanted everybody <laughs> to do everything the way that I wanted it. And, it, you know, I had to learn that there's different ways to lead people, to get them to do exactly what you want, but do it in a, in a different way. And the way that it worked out was Perez stayed back and he managed um, New Tampa, which was our first location. And then I managed Northdale. And then we learned from that and we found our leaders in each of those shops. And they ended up being the ones that would go on to three, four, five, six. Yeah, from a, from a macro perspective, from my perspective and not being in the day-to-day operations, trying to teach uh, my my management model to these guys of, of hands-off macro was was interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm the kind of guy that says we go north, and if we're going northeast, that's okay. I try to nudge more towards the north. So I, I'm definitely not that sniper. I'm much more of a shotgun, if you will. A lot of my pellets and shots miss, but my uh, th- then you've got the managers that are, that are very sniper, and they take three months to make a decision. That, that's definitely not the style and the concept that I was after. I, I left the corporate world specifically to get away from some of that. And, you know, from that perspective, when you're looking at the business case, you've got to put, I'll use the spandex uh, CEO's term here, oopsies, right? So you're going to have some oopsies and you're going to talk about them and you got to put some money aside for these oopsies and know that they're going to happen. I remember Basia and I had a, a heated discussion one time on how good this 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 direct mailing was going to work that we were going to do. And, you know, we were going to do it the least expensive possible way. We went out and sorted our own postcards. We we did the rubber band on them and we mm-hmm. dropped them off ourselves and did all that. But sure enough, it didn't work. But but what you learn there and what you learn from from allowing your individual managers as you scale to to find themselves and then nudging them in the direction of the vision and and losing some barbers, some really good barbers along the way, because you're you're in, you're invested in that in that management team. No different in the corporate world. You're going to lose some employees, but you've got to you've got to invest in your managers and you've got to invest in your in your partners so that they can then realize the confidence that they have in their leadership and in their thought. And that it's okay to lose some money. It's okay to lose somebody. It's okay to lose a a resource, if you will, make some mistakes, and then learn from them. As long as we're all going north, that's great. So it's it's always about the business and, and the long-term vision, not necessarily what's easy in the short term. Sometimes it's easy to uh, to deal with employees that don't see the same vision you have in the short term by just saying, okay, well, we're just going to disagree, but that's not good for the long-term viability and health of the business. Yeah. You can't just veto your your management team and your and your your leaders and, and what you're trying to build. If you just veto them, um, you're blocking their, their personal growth. You've got to realize that there's a cost to that. I mean, some of us went to school and have that cost. Others sent out some mailers. Others lost an employee that that would have brought in some revenue for a couple of months, and you lost that revenue for two or three months. And that that personal growth ultimately, I think, is what's built the team that has become, you know, kind of where we are. Not just in the barbershops, but with Tomb Forty Five, the product line, which is yeah, we we've done the flyer thing four times, knowing it wasn't going to work. 
<laughs> Still learn. doing yeah, it. Yeah, letting you know? them learn. Doing it anyway. Well, you mentioned your flyers and your direct mailers and that type of thing. I'm curious. It sounds like so far we've talked about the leadership that you have at every store. On kind of the more corporate level, though, have you brought in other people like in addition who aren't barbers, who, who their main expertise isn't barbering? So have you brought in or considered bringing in or even consulting with um, other marketing people or PR people or just other types of leadership? Has that been a road you've explored yet? And how has it worked? So we do have, oddly enough, we've got uh, a meeting set up on Wednesday. We're flying in uh, a few different guys. We have we do have a guy that we call our acting CTO, mostly not not into the barbershop um, business, but into the 245, into the product side of the business. So he's our acting technical um, officer. And then we've got um, a couple of other guys that we do bring in into the software side. We've got a COO, pretty penny there, but he's he's a definitely a business guy and helps us manage and run that and bring some brain power and some thought process to to our vision and helps us implement it. Not enough hours for the rest of us to do to do a lot of that. So between that's the great. So- yeah, between the software and the product company, we have brought in um, marketing, technical, and executive support. That is awesome. And that is, again, that's something you, that is, I think, completely unheard of in your type of industry. So you are really so innovative in this. It's really cool. Now, before we move on to the next part of our show, let's hear a word from one of our show sponsors. Real estate investing is known for a lot of things, mainly making a very select group of people a whole lot of money. But being an online cutting edge experience is usually not one of those hallmarks. Well, thanks to Fundrise, that's no longer the case. Fundrise is the future of real estate investing. Their revolutionary model is transforming the industry thanks to their software, which cuts out the costly middlemen and removes old market inefficiencies. Fundrise delivers the kind of investing power you typically only see at the big institutions and can now bring real estate's unique potential for long-term growth and cash flow to individual investors like us. Getting started is simple and usually takes less than five minutes. When you invest with Fundrise, you'll be instantly diversified across dozens of real estate projects, each one carefully vetted and actively managed by Fundrise's team of real estate professionals. Then you can use their intuitive investor dashboard and real-time reporting system to monitor the progress of each property in your portfolio. Now that's the future of real estate investing. So are you ready to get started? Then visit Fundrise.com slash BP business. That's F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E dot com slash BP business. And you'll get the first three months of fees waived. Again, that's Fundrise dot com slash BP business. What other marketing efforts do you have in addition? I know you have a YouTube channel. Do you think that is drawing a lot of customers as well as barbers? Are there other channels that have been really effective for you in gathering those people? We have a a team that we call Tomb Squad. It's just a, a, a a group of influencers that we're friends for first, right? We're like, we, we all have a, a very common vision and common ideas of where we want the barber industry to be, but we also happen to be influencers. And, you know, the name came out, I, I don't know how it came about, but that's what they call us now. And it's, it's probably me and maybe like four or five other guys that uh, we like to say we influence the next generation of, of barbers. And so I think that's our, our biggest draw of um, as far as customers and and followers and supporters. And then, you know, we do other things too. We've tried Facebook marketing and things of that nature, but I would say influencers are biggest draw. Influencers are it. Yeah, Yeah. for Tim 45, that's definitely true. So for the barbershops, it's a little bit different as well. On the barbershop side, what we've got is, uh, well, again, focusing on the customer acquisition cost. We talked about customer acquisition when we're, as an owner, acquiring a barber 
as a customer, right? Somebody who's mm-hmm. going to process that. But getting people in the door is very interesting. So um, it, people, when you have your barber, unless your barber leaves or is or or you move, you you're, you're a lot of a lot of the people who you want as customers are pretty faithful to their barbers. So to get them to change is rather expensive. So what we did is we focused on the young crowd. Basically, when your child lets you. Uh, tells you to stop taking them to supercuts. When they when when a kid stops letting mommy and daddy take them to supercuts and wants that fresh cut from the barbershop, that's what we went after. So we went after the middle school kids, the high school kids. It got to the point where the uh, sports director for the two different counties in our region knew us by name. They would call us and say, hey, get us some more Gatorade. We know how much Gatorade you can fit on a pallet <laughs> because we would buy it by the pallet put our names on it, drop off two bags of Gatorade at each high school in the area. At this point, we have seven shops, so it's quite a few high schools and middle schools. And say, hey, if you want more, here's my business card, call me. We would love to support you. Instead of dropping off a whole box, that way we generated a conversation. We met the football moms. We met the basketball moms. We used our relationships from the people who sit in our chair at Beef O'Brady's, at the other restaurants, and said, hey, this football team needs a, a meal sponsored on Friday you know, we'll pay half of it or, or give it to us at a really good deal. And then we bought the meals and we took them, the game day meals. So by influencing the middle school and high school kids in these sports and in the band and stuff like that, that gave us the the expansion, if you will. We never gave discounts. We're not a big fan of discounts yeah. for acquiring customers. Like coupons mm-hmm. and stuff. No coupons ever. I hate Gosh. them. I think that's horrible. I don't, I don't want that customer who's chasing the discount. I want that customer who sees the value. And so what we did was we gave um, the coaches free coupon codes. And we told them, listen, we want you to give this coup- hair, free hair coupon code to your MVP for the week. Don't give it to your quarterback. Give it to the guy who got good grades, to the guy that had to walk home, you know, because he didn't have a ride. And that really worked for us. I mean, yeah. that really helped us generate a relationship with the community into different uh, middle school and high schools. Love That's it. awesome. That really human, that really humanizing touch that really builds relationships and ultimately drives your business at the same time. Right. Yeah. For the, for Tomb 45, it's definitely Tomb Squad. Yeah. For 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 the barbershops, it's it's much more local and micro. It's you know, the barbershop, we say it all the time, it's it's the the community hub for for a lot of a lot of areas, a lot of communities. And if if our barbers aren't, you know, giving back to the community or creating a relationship with the community. And it starts with schools. It starts with parents. It starts with kids. If we're not doing that, then, you know, what's the point? And if I may, I'm going to give a shout out to True Hair Culture. Um, It's run by this guy, Tony Suarez. He is a manager at our St. Pete location. And he, uh, you know, after spending, I think, 15 years in jail, turned his life around um, and is now running this True Hair Culture, um, which basically uses all of its profit to help at youth, uh, at-risk youth. And sometimes he, he goes to the schools, he finds the kids who can barely make it, he gives them rides to and from school, he buys them tools as needed, and that's definitely something we're happy to, to support. And that's, I think that level of community wonderful. interaction is, is definitely, a good, definitely helping us. Yeah. Absolutely wonderful. Awesome. Okay. So now let's jump ahead. We've, we've talked about the first store. We've talked about expanding to the second store. I assume at this point, you guys have gotten this down to a science. You have your spreadsheets. You know what it's going to cost. You know how you find your locations. You know how you find your, your barbers. You know how you find your customers. And so I assume over the last few years, you've just kind of grown this and grown this. Um, so I'd love to hear a little bit about where you are today, how many stores you have, how you're expanding geographically. But you guys have also started, and, and we've kind of touched on this a little bit, but I wanted to save it till the end here. You guys have also started your own product line where you're going out and you're manufacturing products to help 
barbers and help the industry. So I'd love to hear about that 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 as well. So let's, I guess, break that into to two questions. Where are you now with your scaling of your shops? And tell us a little bit about your your product, uh, the product side of your business. You want to start by telling them how we accidentally opened our last shop? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> go ahead. Yes, please. I, we have to hear that now. <laughs> so we actually, we got on this, this, you know, in this mode where we opened three barber shops, I think in a year, a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then we opened, we, we opened those shops, but then we told ourselves we weren't going to open any more shops. We were going to focus on the product line. And then we get a call from our landlord, one of our landlords, who's an amazing, amazing person that she was opening a plaza and she wanted us in there. And so we said yes and ended up opening this barbershop. I'll let you explain kind of the details. Yeah, so basically, you know, we established a relationship with with a couple of different landlords who who would basically call us. And that's how we ended up opening, going on a rush there at the end. On I, I think like at the end of year three through year five, we went on this crazy rush where the CapEx wasn't as, as intense. The tenant allowance was being provided was much better because yeah. – you know, these they weren't used to barbershops that paid their rent on time, that elevated the traffic to their to their uh, salons, that got good good responses from the neighbors, that didn't allow, if you will, a, a riffraff of of clientele to hang out in front of the door and stuff like that. So because of that, that relationship was established with the landlords. They came to us, provided a lot more um, tenant allowance than normal, gave us gave us you know much more favorable lease terms. Offer we couldn't we couldn't say no to. Right? Build out complete awesome. builds out, yeah. and um, so yeah. So I think there's one lined up for 2022 yeah. that they want us in, and even though we're not really looking, we're going to go ahead and do that because yeah. hey, if it's not going to cost us any capex to open it, we can we, definitely run. We literally it. sat <laughs> down and said, "No more barbershops. We're done for a while." And then got a and call. now we're opening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They can't stop. They need they That's, need you. They need you in their space. It's yeah. awesome. Now tell us about your product line. And I think it's called Tomb Forty Five. Tomb Forty Five. Yeah. How did that, how did that get started? What's the goal? Tell us a little bit about that. So, I one of the things that I was doing because of YouTube was educating a lot, and I started touring. I started doing my own tour, put a, a list of cities, and people would book me to to go to teach their classes. And I started going to these shows and these expos and seeing the level of education that was being provided. And like Danny was saying earlier, you know, there it's almost like the same thought leaders for so long. And, and they were really, I feel like, old school with their education. Selling out. And yeah, that, that too. And, and so we wanted to go to the shows and, and start teaching. But then we found out that there's a cost in that when you go to these expos, you got to pay them to do free classes. And so we needed to figure out a way. Yeah, we needed to figure out a way how to fund this. And um, so I talked to my subscribers and I told them, you know, what I wanted to do and how I want to help them physically, not just through video. And um, they told they told us, why don't you just start making product? And the, the first product that they, they asked us to make was a shave gel. And we made that shave gel in our kitchens, in a bowl with a hand mixer. Literally, yes. Please, well, fortunately, uh, has has the has the time expansion passed for the FDA to still come after us? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, hopefully not. But like, literally, hand labeling, hand pumping, hundreds and thousands of bottles of shave gel to to hundreds and thousands. Wait a minute, from your kitchen, hundreds and thousands. Thousands. No, so it started. It's thousands. Thousands. Yeah, Thousands. thousands. 
So wow. I said, so I sat yeah. my wife down and I mentioned to her, babe, I, I need you to understand that these boxes are going to be in this garage for the next mm-hmm. five years. Okay, this is something that Basio really wants to do. Yeah. I think it's something we need to support. It's one of those things that you're going to invest in your leadership and invest in your management. And you know what? His this this whole training situation, education team is really <laughs> going to get us out so that we can get more barbers. <laughs> and my wife is like, great, but what's going on in this kitchen? What is all this slippery <laughs> stuff everywhere? Yeah. So um, so we thought of a name and and one of the the things I wanted to do was stay true to what we were about. And so um, barbering started during ancient Egyptian times. It's one of the oldest professions that's still around. And uh, back then, you know, you weren't given uh, a tomb or proper burial unless you were royalty, a priest or super wealthy. But there was a barber named Barmer Mayette who was actually given a tomb. His tomb number was 45. And I found this guy because I was trying to find the most successful barber ever. I couldn't point to one. There's no one to look up to in the barber industry like there is in any other industry, right? And so, you know, this guy has a, a statue in the Museum of Pen- Pennsylvania. And, you know, it showed me that where barbering started, it was respected. You know, it was a real profession. And the culture I wanted to build was bringing that back. Yep. And so, yeah, that's how and we came up with the name. So the is so cool. That is such a good story. While we're on stories about naming things, I think I got a little glimpse of the story about how the name Headlines came about. And I think our listeners would love hearing that. Can you share it? Yeah, that's that's a funny one. We were um we were in our in the barbershop and um Perez wanted to name it um some name that NFL, we're embarrassed to talk about. Oh, yeah. oh, sorry. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> National Faith. He doesn't like people knowing about it. Uh, and but we're list we're we're coming up with names, and then we hear the the song J- that Drake made, uh, headlines come on. I'm like, you know what? That'd be a really good barbershop name. And um, I I know he heard he heard me, and and we talked about it for a little bit, but I didn't think he was actually gonna go get the logo made. And a couple of days later, I'd be looking at a logo that says headlines. So that's how we came up with the name for the barbershops. <laughs> Very <laughs> cool. Yeah. And I love how your logo. You mentioned earlier, it kind of all it all it kind of all comes full circle now when you're talking about who your target market is with all the the middle schoolers and the high schoolers and that whole community. It really looks like your brand very much reflects that. It's very almost comic book like. So it kind of just it's cool and hip and fun, yet still very professional all at the same time. And it really reflects like raising people up in those communities. It's very it's a really good fit. So I'd love to hear more about where you're planning to go with the product business. Are these products that you're selling out of your own stores? Are you trying to sell them retail? Are you selling them at trade shows or through other barber shops? And what types of products are you looking to expand into? Is this going to be like a key part of your business or is this just a secondary thing to try and uh, again, to, to, to push your education side of things like it originally was? I think the company has grown way, way bigger than we ever anticipated. Again, we started with shave gels, making it in our kitchen, then in our backyard. And when we talked about scaling up and Danny, he's a great businessman, 2 million miles phone. Scaling up wasn't the normal, typical scaling up. Scaling up was going from a bowl to a five gallon bucket, to a drum, (laughs) to backyard, to a garage. That was scaling up for us. Awesome. But we got so much support from our followers and, and subscribers and stuff. So just for the record, we, we buy containers from, from, from a real factory today. It, everything's done legit, yes, yes, FDA now, bottled. We have well, a factory now. Right? It's legit now. We come in thousands of bottles Of course of it is, of course. Yeah. But, but it was definitely that. humble beginnings. Now it's, like I said, it's 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 crazy the, the growth that we've had and where we're at today with the product line. We didn't think it was going to be our focus like it is today. Today it is our focus. Yep. So we are focusing on this 
distribution. And I think that, you know, as when you launch a new product line, regardless of how you're doing it, you, a, lot, a lot of our listeners are probably looking through Amazon podcasts and how, how people are building their businesses on Amazon and stuff. Hey, and one of the ways you can do it is build your own product line. But the pull through is something that is very interesting. Amazon has opened a direct distribution line to many, many customers. You've got direct access, the direct to consumer model, if you will. That does not mean that B2B is dead or business to business and that the distribution concept and the distribution value chain is not there. What it means is that we have a different line and a different vertical for attacking those customers directly. So when we launched a new product and we started putting it on Amazon and we put our own label on it, we had to pull through because we had the name recognition. We had the name recognition because we had the online presence. We had the online presence because we provided value first. So unbeknownst to us, we were building this trend of a culture that where the industry was was hungry for something along those lines. And it kind of worked out. If I was to go back and say I was going to do that purposely and I wanted to build my own product line and be able to launch it, I would say you can do it in the same way. You can follow all the rules that, that they tell you to follow with advertising your product and trying to build up the, the, the clientele. You can go after influencers, but buying influence is not the same thing as syncing with influence. The synergetic views of, of the influencers and the, and the team that we call our core team and that actually have the same vision, that is what creates the strength for the brand. So we do have a direct line distribution to the consumer, either direct through the website, which we have a, a decent amount of volume through, and Amazon. I would say that today that accounts for 50% of our business, and then the other 50% of our business is probably through distribution. We are opening international distribution, which has been a logistics nightmare and an extreme growing pain for us. Um, how do we do this? Wait, especially when you consider <laughs> that, the, that, that our strategy is both direct to consumer as well as distribution. Um, old school B2B distribution. When you got direct to consumer, you got to worry about opening all your taxes, opening all your VATs in the European countries and Canada and South America. Yeah, it's, it's, so, so it is all of that. The main thing with our growth and our growth strategy is through innovation. When you look at our shave gel bottle, which was, we'll, we'll start with the first product. Mm-hmm. Bosio brought me the shave gel bottle and I'm like, this, this, this doesn't look good on the shelf. There's no way that this is ever going to sell. But when a barber sees the shave gel bottle they, and they've never seen it before, they're like, this is fantastic. Why didn't somebody think of this before? It's so obvious to them. It's clear so you can find out when you're running out as opposed to opaque, opaque which when you, when you know you ran out is when you go to pump it for the last time and there's nothing there, kind of like a shampoo bottle. Mm-hmm. That's when you know you run out, so you have to go out and buy something. Here, you know when you're running out, you're good. It's got an applicator nozzle, so you hold it upside down, shake it. You can get 100% of the of the. Uh, product out. Because you can get 100% of the product out, you're not cutting the bottom of that pump so that you can scoop it out with your fingers because you've run out at the last minute. And there's so many, there's so much innovation in a very simple package that I was just blown away. We even, we even colored the gel green because green stands for rebirth in ancient Egyptian times. So everything we did was, was on purpose. When we look at the next product, you want to talk about the razor handle? Yeah, so our the, second product. Sure. The, the the razor handle was interesting because we see things in different in different perspectives. I'm I'm in the shop working and he comes in and he looks at our our, our behavior in the shop. And one of the things he noticed um, was we have these razor handles and you put cartridges in them. But barbers they they want the razor that sits in the cartridge to be exposed or non-exposed or medium exposed. Why don't why why don't we just include all the cartridges in one package? No one's ever done that before. There you go. It's such. A, it's one of those things. It's like one of those CNS TV products where you're like, "Why didn't I yep. think of that?" Yeah. Nobody thought of that, and so yep. that was our second innovative product that um, that yep. 
that I thought was really cool. And so the same business model, when you look at the spreadsheet that we built for Tomb 45, it looks very similar to the headlines business model, especially with the cash on hand. It's, it's a rollover month to month. Um, there's a lot of learning curves when, when you're talking about somebody's myself and the rest of the team. Nobody on the team had managed inventory and the logistics and and shipping, online shipping, and none of that. So there's been there's been a learning curve with that, and and we still messed that up quite a bit. Mm. Fortunately, we've never run out of, of of product for long periods of time. We're out of gel right now and back ordered, but I think we're going to be out of gel for ten days. So I think mm-hmm. we're going to survive this one as well. And that's happened a couple of different times. So we're running right on the edge of of logistics, but I I, I think that that as we look at, at at the real fun part of what we're doing and where the money's coming in and, and what we're looking at down the road is definitely through innovation that fixes a problem. So it's not a commodity. Even though shave gel is a commodity, we were able to add that value. We were able to find something that was value add, market the value add, define the value add to the market and get it going. When we had the razor handle, we did the same. And of course, now we've just launched this weekend a product we're really proud of, which is a wireless charging mat. Yeah. So we've we've got three patent pendings innovations on this one, and basically what it is is we've got a a device that connects to the clipper, trimmer, or shaver that converts a wireless uh, clipper, shaver, or trimmer that does not charge wirelessly into wireless charging. If you've ever been to the barber shop, there's a lot of wires everywhere. And I keep my house fairly clean and neat. And when I walk into the barbershop, it's like, oh, gosh, what is all these wires everywhere? But they need it because they need to plug in. So towards the end of the day, their battery's dying down. They plug in. They've got this rat's nest. They're, they're cutting hair with this crazy rat's nest rattling around everywhere. But if they could charge throughout the day, it, w- it would work. So we we innovated a, a, a an input device, a conversion device. We were able to get a patent on that or a patent pending on that. We were able to... Get- I, I would have brought it if I knew we were going to be a, uh, on, video. on video. Like it's, it's beautiful. It's a mat that lays on your barber's counter. He puts the attachment to his clipper, lays his clipper down, and it's charging. He's never mm-hmm. going to have any issue running out of battery. It stays on like it's, it's yeah, it's a game changer for the industry. It's just so cool listening to all these stories. Where Did you bring in a lot of outside consultants or did you really just, you've realized by operating your shops that these are just things you need. And so you just kind of figured it out. We did like crazy stuff. The whole shotgun theory. Like yeah. we, did, we didn't know, we didn't know how to get things started, but. Like Danny was, I remember one day we just bought flights to China. Jump on a plane and go. Because in reality, none of us had been in product development, like true product development and R&D of a a product. None of us had defined a product, engineered a product and managed that. I had done some product management in the corporate world, but it was all business intelligence software stuff. It was never anything physical. Right. So when we look at something physical, you've got to physically draw it. You've got to draw an AutoCAD. You've got to create tooling for it. Then the tooling has to go through. You've got to, you got to source components. And we basically jumped on a plane, went over there, wasted a lot of time on our first, and, on and our money. first trip. And, time, money. and money. It, actually, it, we took a big step back with the amount of money. We, t- we bought a product that we were going to launch. The product got here and it was so horrible. We had to throw it all away. Mm-hmm. And cash on hand. We spent the cash on hand for this next product. And we literally opened the dumpster and threw it in because that was, we weren't putting Ugh. our name behind that. We were yeah. not putting our name behind that. The manufacturer was not backing it. They, they weren't going to replace it. And we were done with it. So then we, you know, we built the cash on hand back up. We jumped on the flights, went back out there again. 
And, you know, by the third or fourth time, we realized that that we did need a consultant. We have a team in China now that that helps us out quite a bit. We land, they pick us up, and they're with us until we take off. All of a sudden, the food is so much better. <laughs> All of a sudden, I can, take, I can take a taxi. We don't have to fly everywhere. We can jump on the trains because getting a train in China, if you don't speak Chinese, that's that's fairly difficult. Hard, yeah. And um, our, our airports, are, our, our hotels are much cheaper to the point where if you're going to spend 10 days in China and you can hire one of these consultants, you will probably be cheaper than what you'll spend on your sure. learning curve. And a much better experience. Yeah. So, you know, That's we went. That's a great tip. <clears throat> yep. And then, of course, we launched the product, an air compressor, last year in September. And we were told that this was going to be exclusive to us. We helped them finalize the design of it. We launched it. And two weeks later, we saw a competitor with it. And uh, two and a half months later, we saw it on Alibaba for a fifth of the yeah. uh, retail product. It was one of those products for. that we made the market for, we developed it. And um, yeah, they, sc- they screwed us over. Yeah. Ouch, ouch. That's but, painful. But we learned from that. Moved yeah, on. You learned. We learned. We learned. And we actually launched recently uh, our newest compressor, cordless compressor. It's got double the power of anything out there, wireless charging capability. It's it's another game changer for the industry. But if that wouldn't have happened, we wouldn't have come up with the new innovations that we have now. So I guess you got to fail. That's right. But, oh, that's but right. I got to say, the, the coolest part of launching that was when we added wireless charging to that device. Yeah. So we launched it on December 9th. And what we did was I wanted to fly in our influencer friends. And we realized, wait, that's a big ticket item. Why don't we, why don't we associate that with the training thing? So we, so we did a training class where we did some education. And then from there, we also had the influencers and we basically launched this product. We tried to do an Apple Steve Jobs thing. You know, as we learn, we're yeah. <laughs> going to get better at yeah. that. But um, we launched it. And when we launched it, we had this wireless charging capability built into it. We could not tell anybody because if we told anybody, they would obviously put two and two together. They would start thinking of, of wirelessly charging additional tools. Sure. So we launched it, sold it. People were receiving these these devices and not, not knowing, knowing that it charges wirelessly until we launched. Oh my, that's awesome. What a great, and if that's not icing on the cake, right? They've got this great tool and, oh, PS, you can charge it wirelessly. Boom. That's amazing. Value up front, right? Yeah. Lifestyle. We launched the man. They're like, so wait, cool. my compressor charges wirelessly? What? Yeah. <laughs> That's so cool. So I I think the thing that stands out to me so readily is you guys have really been innovators in this industry that's been around forever. You've innovated on the business model. You've innovated on the marketing. You've innovated on the employees or the contractors in the business. And now you're innovating on the product side. And I absolutely love that. And again, this isn't a new industry where there's always a lot of change going on. You guys took over an industry or or, or jumped into an industry that, like you said, has been around for thousands of years. So tremendous credit to you guys for for what you've accomplished. Thank you. Yeah, we're definitely looking forward to a post-September or December maybe follow-up. We've got a a software as a service product that we are launching. And again, I think that innovation is because it's looked at how to make life easier. We've identified problems, not problems, but challenges inside the barbershop from the individual barber and from the barbershop owner's perspective. And how can we make life easier and more efficient? Not just from that perspective, when you look at our charging mat, it's it's a, a uh, modular growth, if you will, because of the economics behind it. You can start off slow and then you can add modules to increase the capacity. So everything we've done has been from that concept where it's it's we're conscious of the of the cash flow available for, for many of these barbers. We're conscious of the cash flow for the barbershop owners and we're conscious of the individual growth that they can have. 
And I can't wait till we uh, do some software stuff, which is our next one, right? Because we've already yeah. kind of moved on from the next one. As much success that we've got going on now, we've got some products that are launching June 2nd. We're going to be introducing the additional adapters for, for more hardware mm-hmm. that will allow those, that hardware to, to charge wirelessly. But, but that's done and over with. That was, that was, that's the next, that's in the, the in next the big future thing past. Is, is our software. So innovation. cool. I think it's fair to say that you're not only uh, innovating. I think it's fair to say that you're revolutionizing the whole barber industry because the way you're talking about this is clearly stuff that just hasn't been done in a many thousands of year old industry. And you're just you're just changing this whole thing up. And it's amazing. So much fun to listen to. Thank you so much for all of that. So now we're going to jump into the part of our show that we call Four More, okay? So we're going to ask you four rapid fire style questions and there you're, you're going to, you can take turns answering them. And then at the end, you're going to tell us about more where we can find out more about you. Sound good? Let's go. Sure. Okay. Jay, you take the first question. Okay. And this is for both of you. I want to hear answers from both of you. What is your first or your worst job that you've ever had? And what lessons did you take from them that you've used to in your industry today? This dishwashing at a buffet. Worst job, worst job ever. And and my dad used to pick me up and laugh at laugh at me because Aww. I took the I took the job because I was mad upset about him. Upset about the job he was giving me. And you know, the, the thing that I learned from that is, you know, take control of your life. You're not going to be happy with everything that you that you receive. But, you know, look at the cup half full, not empty. Yeah, I guess, uh, you know, I was thinking about it while you were answering. I, I've only I've only really had one bad job and it was just micromanagement hell. I, I've been lucky enough to be upper upper directorship level management, executive level management in the white collar world for for most of my corporate career, and then working for myself, I, I get to call the shots, and that's pretty much my personality. And when you're managing a, a group of such talented people, kind of like I am, I got really lucky with the Tomb Forty Five group and the Tomb Squad with the talent they have and the the drive and passion they have. You cannot micromanage that that personality. I mean, I, I realize that it's doing really well for Elon Musk apparently, but uh, not 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 me, not me. I can't I can't do that. I can't be managed like that. And it was micromanagement from hell. And it was it was very late in my career. It was a gig that I was looking forward to. I'm I'm a nerd at heart, and I, I wanted to do some cybersecurity stuff. Um, and I wanted to, to you know I wanted to, to play with it. So I took a job, and uh, three you know three months later, I had to I had to tell him to go. What I learned was basically reinforcement from that. That yeah, I'm definitely macro, and and my and my style and my and my beliefs are much more macro management styles than micro. Love it. Okay, next question. Uh, what's an opportunity along the way that you said no to, and do you think it was the right decision? A lot of sponsorship offers with with bigger companies. I didn't sell myself out. You know, I wanted to be able to give an unbiased opinion on all the products that I used, anything that I was doing, and um, honestly, not taking these sponsorships when I feel like a lot of people would, or the culture in in the barber industry, they they kind of look up to that and decide no we're going to build our own thing we're going to do it ourselves because we can we can create our own platform and i think that was that was the one thing that turned down that i'm happy i did yeah i think for me it was basically uh i married my middle school sweetheart and uh somewhere around 34 years old my wife came back we were expatriated in argentina we came back to our home in tampa and uh she didn't pack she was done she wasn't she wasn't going to expatriate and I think most most of my peers would have just kept their career. I gave up my career at that point for for my family. And I'm thankful I did. Obviously, um, everything's worked out. That's awesome. Amazing. Uh, 
So what is some of the worst advice you hear in your industry or some of the worst advice you've been given? And how would you turn that into good advice? There's so much bad advice in this industry. <laughs> There's so much bad advice. In this industry, we hear a lot of people talking about, hey, I'm going to go get my LLC. Okay, so so who are you partnering with? No, what do you mean, who am I partnering with? It's, it's just me. So you're going to do a single member LLC. Why, why are you doing a single member LLC? Well, I, I was told that I have to have my own business. And, and there's no context and, and understanding that an LLC is designed in order to protect him from me and me from him. It's, it's limited liability from your partner, not from your customers, people. There's piercing the corporate veil. Come on, you still need insurance and all that. So there's, there's this, this misinterpretation of, of business setup, which is the very first conversation you have. And from there, unfortunately, it goes downhill. I would definitely say sponsorships is the, uh, is the second one. Um, you know, that a lot, of, a lot of people say, you know, go and get your, get, you know, try to get sponsorship, try to, but then you're kind of selling out. You're not, you're not standing for everything. There's no why, it's just a what. There's so much what to do that, you know, you need to get, you need to get a, a company. You need to, you need to go get a sponsorship, but nobody, nobody really asks, why do you need to do that? And does that flow with my mentality and my vision and my destination? Great. Great. Okay. So fourth question in your personal or business life, what is something that you've splurged on that's been totally worth it? For me, it, I don't know if this is splurging, but I went, I went on like a year where I spent a lot of money on self-development on education like classes in our industry for continued education are pretty expensive and there's there's been times where i've spent you know my month's income on taking a class because i wanted to better myself and be able to share this information with other people so i splurged a lot of money on that and cars that break down (laughs) (laughs) you won't let me buy him a nice car this is a true story (laughs) <laughs> Basio drives a $1,000 car. His car broke down. We, we went and I, I found him a $15,000 car. I'm like, I'm going to buy it. Let's buy this car with the company money and stuff. And, and that way you've got a reliable car. He says, there's no way we're spending that much money on a car right now. Buy, find me a cheaper car. So I found him a $7,500 car. He says, no way. <laughs> so I jokingly show him a $1,000 car, which he says, that's the one I want. So now we, we, we manage. We define every expense on the number of Basio cars. So if we spend $3,000, we spend three Basio cars. When we spend 10, <laughs> we spend 10, 10 Basio cars. I just just have really bad luck with cars. True and, story. So I'm not I'm not putting <laughs> more money into it. That's a true entrepreneur right there, though, who who is proud of their car if it costs next to nothing. That is like entrepreneurship wrapped up in a in, in a nice package. I splurged on my on my home. I live on the water, and it gives me no excuse to not pick up my six year old son and go fishing three times a day because it takes me five minutes to get on my boat, two minutes to get on the water where I can fish, and. Um, you know, I sat next to a lot of what I call airplane Joes, where we are obviously workaholics. We obviously put in 60-hour work weeks. We're listening to this podcast and every other podcast that can feed us information. And we're not present when we're home. I try to leave my phone at, at the dining room table when I take my son fishing. I try to I try to put my phone down when I'm driving 99.99% of the car and talk to my daughter. And, you know, I sat next to so many airplane Joes for, for so long that have told me, don't let your kid's life go by and you wake up and they're gone. So for me, I, I splurged on the house and, and being on the water and I do a lot of fishing with my six-year-old and he swears he's caught 15-pound bass. He swears he's gotten this close to catching alligators. Of course he has. And that's of course perfect. He has. That's perfect. <laughs> 
Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much, Daniel. I think you wanted to, uh, to mention a little honor for Chris. I am super excited. This weekend, we attended the world's largest Barber Expo dedicated to barbers known as Connecticut Barber Expo. It's put on by a fantastic person, Jay, Jay Majors. He's definitely elevating the industry. We're very proud of where it's going. And we did the first ever Barber Grammys, which was just put on fantastic. I mean, it was done right. It was elevated. We It's something that the industry is going to look forward to. The cosmetology industry already has something like this. And, and now we've got something like this too. So the first ever Barber Grammy was won by Chris Bosio uh, yeah. for Educator Yay. of the Year. I was congratulations. Yeah, yeah, that is amazing. Yeah. He almost almost got emotional on stage. He was yeah. right on the edge. I almost cracked, but I I, I, held, I held my composer. Yeah, it was just amazing to get some recognition. And I can imagine this. Do you know how many people are in this industry? Don't actually. No, I mean we don't. But there's a barbershop in every corner here in Florida. I don't yeah. know about. Where I mean, it's got to be a ridiculous number of people. I mean, that is a huge honor. Congratulations, Chris. congratulations. That is Thank wonderful. You. Appreciate it, guys. That's awesome. Okay. We want to take this last piece of the show, and I want to give you guys an opportunity to tell us a little bit about where we can find more about you, how we can follow you on social media, how our listeners can get in touch with you, and most importantly, how we can buy your products and visit your, one of your shops. Yeah, so um, for me, I'm all over social media. I'm on every platform. as Chris Basio. You can just look up my name, and and I'll, I'll pull up, especially YouTube. That's where I spend most of my time, um, and Instagram. And then um, the website, you can find us at tomb45.com. All of, all of our products are there. Um, and then uh, we have an app. We didn't even talk about the app. But we have an app, Headlines Barbers, um, that you can go and you can see all of our locations as well. And then Danny just started becoming an influencer. He signed his first autograph the other day at the, at the expo. Wow. <laughs> and so he's on social media now. Yeah, so our industry is in need of some basic business education. So I'll be putting out some very basic stuff and then hopefully building it up. The more complex we get, the more we'll lose people. So we need to keep it basic and, and eye-opening. But yeah, tomb45.com. I'm, I'm on Instagram as at tombdoc. But tomb, tomb45 is spelled as tomb raider, but tomb45. Yeah. And um, that's where you can find us. We are on Amazon as far as North American markets go. And we are expanding internationally at this point, hopefully in the next couple of months. Oh, we'll and our Insta- uh, the tomb45 Instagram is official tomb45. That's right. Official awesome. tomb45. Excellent. And all of your shops are in, we, we didn't, I don't think you even mentioned, you mentioned New Tampa at one point, but all of your shops are down in Tampa, Florida? In the Tampa Bay area, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Can't wait to come see you guys. Thank you so much, you amazing barber revolutionaries. (laughs) You're inspiring people for sure. Thank you for having us. It was uh, fun talking about this stuff. It'd been a while since we told anybody. Actually, I I think we kind of kept it under wraps that we actually did the actual product in our kitchen for a little bit. So this may be the first public time that we tell people that uh, we did this product in our kitchen for thousands and thousands of bottles. I'm proud of it, though, to be where you we're at today. Yeah. We, it's we an are. origin story. I love it. We are. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Thank you well, guys. thank you guys so much. We appreciate having you here, and uh, we will talk to you soon. All right, guys. All right. Thank talk you. That was an awesome show. I love those guys. What did you think, Carol? They're such the real deal, right? They're so completely authentic. And I love how they immerse themselves in the community and they talk about elevating the industry. It really shines through in every single thing that they do. And I love talking with them. And I love the fact that they make such a great partnership. So Chris, is he's the consummate operator. He knows his business like nobody else. And then you have Daniel who... He's the business guy, and he. But between them, they figured out how to, to scale and grow this thing tremendously. Love it. Me too. Okay. okay, are we good? Let's wrap this up, baby. 
Okay, she's Carol. I am Jay. Now go do something small, but figure out how to make it big today. See you later, everybody. Bye.